Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the impact of physical fitness on the mental health of young people with Reagan Howard. Reagan has spent 10 years as a professional youth worker in the Geelong region, specialising in high-challenge activities and leadership development. After working for the City of Greater Geelong Youth Development Unit and partnering with many local schools, Reagan is a fully qualified personal trainer and launched Hello Hurricane with a passion to see young people empowered through effective development approaches. Reagan is also in the Army Reserves and recently returned from Operation COVID-19 Assist in Melbourne CBD and also Operation Bushfire Assist in January this year. He's married with two children and resides in Geelong. Welcome to the show, Reagan. Yeah, Simon. Great to be here. Thank you. Tell me about your working background and how you got to work in the area you're in today. Uh, yeah, well, I've been in the youth space since uh, 2001 uh, when I was uh, volunteering for my local church's youth department. And then in 2005, I applied for and was successful for a trainee position with the City of Grade Geelong Youth Development Unit. Started my, I suppose, professional career that way. Got a qualification through Gordon. My main focus for that was really just boys programs ages 13 to sort of 16 years of age, specialising in high challenge activities and leadership development. Yeah, the suite of programs I suppose that I was doing was camping and overnight experiences um, mixed with the usual surfing, rock climbing, trips to Melbourne, laser skirmish, uh, all the things that make youth work sound like it's really, really fun and games and did that for 10 years. And then um, it was through doing these sort of programs that I was like, well, I'm seeing some benefit in what I'm doing, but I'm also not seeing anything really tangible or easily measurable. I mean, it's, it's tough. Like social work's hard to measure success or failure in that space. It's very, uh, it's very feelings orientated and, and the outcomes aren't quantitative, if that makes sense. And so it can be quite hard to put, put metrics around it. But at the same time, what I was doing was showing some benefit, but it wasn't really um, ticking the boxes of, of long-term change with these young boys I was working with. So I went, well, we need something here. And then, I started to uh, research physical activity, uh, mental health on a, on a more intentional level and started to develop a, a basic core program around physical training and mental health and then decided that I had to, I had to essentially quit my job to start working on, uh, on Hello Hurricane, really. Yeah. So tell us about Hello Hurricane. What does the program entail and where did you get the great name from? Well, I'll start with the name itself. I think that'll, that'll keep me on track. Um, so the name Hello Hurricane comes from a Switchfoot song, and they're a, a, an indie band. And, uh, yeah, that, they've got a song. Uh, my wife and I are big fans of, of Switchfoot, and they've got a song called Hello Hurricane. And the premise of the song is essentially saying that, you know, w- whatever storms come, we're ready for it and we're prepared for it. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build resilience in, in young people and, and so they can handle the storms of life. And, and so I came up with a concept for Hello Hurricane, which exists to build strong, resilient, capable and healthy young people. And I suppose the initial flagship offering in the program is uh, Project Alpha. And that's a 10-week program that's run in schools. It's 20 sessions. So twice a week, the young people do physical training. So I teach them how to do push-up squats, deadlifts, uh, all safely and effectively. I'm, I'm a qualified personal trainer as well so I can I can teach that stuff and then I bring in a lot of the social work practice and the mental health stuff that I've learned over the years as well as leadership development and emotional intelligence and just I suppose little life lessons 
um, that get incorporated into the training package. And yeah, that's that's essentially our flagship offering. That's what we launched with. And we've had some incredible successes along the way. It's been quite good. Yeah. Tell me, how does the Hello Hurricane program differ to existing social work methods that you've seen? I think, uh, you know, a lot of what I do is still grounded in best practice um, social work methods that are that are tried and true and are continually evolving. It's more just the the how and the methodology in which we um, outwork that. I think in my experience, and I mean, I worked for City Grad Geelong and they were fantastic. You know, I learned so much there. Um, and, uh, you know, Greg, who was my supervisor, was just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And in the, in the Geelong youth work scene, Greg is the, is the guy. And so I, I learned a lot from him. Basically, for me, it was just figuring out the how. So they got the, you got the core elements in which you want to try and work through. But the how, and, and the how for me, I was with council, I found that um, it was quite restrictive in what I wanted to do specifically. It was a great learning environment for me to, to learn proper risk management and safety and WHS, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it, it is with, a, with physical training, Unless there is a sense of difficulty and a sense of um, like your muscles have to adapt to what's going on. And the only way you can do that is by pushing beyond what you think you can do, which for anyone who does uh, risk management is always a scary thought. <laughs> I knew I had to do it myself. You know, I couldn't rely on another agency, I suppose, to actually help me run the program just because of the nature of their work. Any trained social worker or youth worker could come in and absolutely see the underlying principles, but it's more the how. And I think a lot of different organisations really have the same underlying principles. They just do it in a different way and they do it in their own unique way. And I think that's really important. For you, how do you think physical activity increases a young person's capability? That's a really good question. I think um, there's two things. There's perceived capability and then there's actual capability. Now, when it comes to physical fitness, it's really easy to measure someone's capability. I mean, you say run one kilometer as fast as you can. Someone who has a higher capability is going to do that faster than someone who has a lower capability. And so it's really easy to measure that sort of stuff, which is, which is good and it, it makes for good, uh, for good data. But I think there's definitely that perceived capability of someone going, I mean, I've had so many conversations with young people that say, oh, I can never do that. I can never do this. I can't, I don't run. I can't do push-ups. I can't squat. Or they do a couple and then they go, I'm tired, I can't do any more. And it's amazing that as you just nurture that and just keep that moving, you keep them moving forward, even though they're in that uncomfortable space, they may specifically not get any faster. They may not actually be any stronger. They may not actually be able to do any more push-ups or, or run faster. But their perception of themselves being able to do that becomes better. They all of a sudden go, oh, wait, I can do this oh, okay, I can, and once they start to think I can do it, it's interesting that their actual capability also increases. And there is a limit to that, of course. I mean, someone just says, yeah, I can run a sub four minute K all the time when actually they can't. It doesn't matter how much they believe it. If they can't do it, they can't do it. But at the same time, if they continually go, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. They're more likely to actually achieve an actual capability outcome. And so from a physical activity point of view, I use that all the time with young people that start the program and they've got no clue. You know, they haven't had physical activity as part of their upbringing. Some, some are quite, you know, we can maybe talk about this a bit later, but certainly there's an element where some young people grow up and they don't, they haven't been conditioned to a certain, to play sport, to run around, to, you know, be active. And so they can't, they step into my program and they go, yeah, I, did, I can't do that. I don't do this. But, but as they start to, 
increase that perceived capability, their actual capability also increases as their fitness increases too. That's where physical activity and, and putting someone in a physical uh, stressor really helps a capability because you can easily connect the two and say, well, you thought you couldn't do that, but now you can. What are other things in your life that you can now do or think you can do because you've just overcome this? And the answers are quite incredible. Yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly one of the joys of my job is taking a young person from going, I can't do that, I can't do that, to actually, I maybe I can. And I think I can, yeah. For you, are there some forms of physical activity that are more beneficial to mental health than others? Yes, definitely there is, without a doubt. But I think in this day and age, any activity is better than no activity, regardless. Um, but the key, uh, the key indicator about what kind of activity is about, um, you know, break down the science and the physiology of the human body to get adaptation within the muscles and within the cardiovascular system. There has to be a point where um, uh, your heart rate goes above a certain percentage um, and your muscles are stretched to a point where the, the fibers are breaking. Sounds very scary, I know, but it's in that space that your body then heals itself and heals stronger. I found that the probably the best overall general preparedness, general overall fitness stuff around basic strength conditioning, basic cardio, and mixing them all together does have the greatest outcome. That's in my experience. Any training a young person can do, whether it's footy, netball, cricket, even just bike riding, just anything that's active is great, is always going to be good. But there has to be a level where you're pushing yourself. So if your activity is just going for a walk every night, that might be fine for the first little while. But as you start to adapt, that will no longer get you the benefit that it initially did. And so from a mental health point of view, you need to be, we need to be putting our brains into a place where things get hard and difficult because that's when at the end of it, they call it the runner's high, but it's actually uh, just an exercise high. At the end of a workout, your body recognizes the stress you've been in and it releases uh, releases endorphins into the system. And it's quite more technical than just that, but essentially chemicals get released through the brain, which gives you that sense of euphoria and that sense of high. Like, wow, ah, this is this is lovely. Now to, to get that, you have to push yourself. If you don't push yourself, you won't get that same result. And so that's definitely from a scientific point of view. But once again, it does come back to that perceived capability. I mean, someone who just loves walking, you know, they still get that a little bit of that high because they might be out and they get the fresh air, they get, get to see the green grass, they get to see the sunset or the sunrise, you know, that sort of stuff. But definitely, uh, physiologically, there needs to be a period of adaptation that has to happen for the brain to recognize stress and then releases endorphins, which then make you feel better, which is actually one of the best ways why, why physical activity and, and mental health go together because you, when you're depressed, you're, there's a chemical imbalance or when you're feeling stress, there's um, adrenaline that's pumping through your system and so exercise is a great leveler and it helps, you, helps your body mitigate those, those imbalances. What have you found are some of the biggest areas of difficulty young people are facing at the moment? That's another, that's another solid question. I think, um, I think that it's, it's so complex out there. I, I, I'm hesitant to make a, um, like a sweeping statement that's saying this is the biggest issue or this is the, this is the you know, because I think for every young person, they have their issues and they have their things that are the biggest in their particular world. And so, like, I treat every individual that I work with as they are an individual and that their responses to 
the world around them will be unique uh, to someone else. And so, but I think, you know, if I, if I, if I just look at, look at my experience and go, what are the young people dealing with? Social media is playing a massive role. Um, but I think it's a little bit broader than that. I think it's the, the fact that, you know, we can be sitting on our phone and we can see live pictures of, um, of atrocities that are happening all over the world. And so 20, 30, 40 years ago, that just wasn't, a, that just wasn't the case. Now, I mean, I remember in the early 90s in Gulf War One when it was like the first televised footage of the Tomahawk missiles coming in and, and hitting key placements in, in Baghdad. And that was new, you know, but that was as close to the war as, you know, I got and as most people back then got that were in, uh, in a non-war zone, where now, like where we see through social media um, and through our phones and the internet, we see it there. And so you've got young people that have got smartphones and they open up their phone first thing on a, on, in the morning and what do they see? They see, potentially can see these atrocities that are happening, which is causing stress. It's causing them to respond. And, and, um, and I think w- coupled with that is that they haven't got the, um, the emotional intelligence yet to be able to handle those kind of pictures or those kind of, uh, or those environments. And so they're now creating, it's, it's almost as if they identify straight away with what's going on, but it's actually not affecting them in any real way. Uh, and so there's that side, but then there's also the concept of, you know, you open up Instagram and everyone posts their best photos of themselves on Instagram. And so you've got someone who looks at that and goes, you know, oh, what well, they're having a great life, but my life is terrible. And so the comparison is so much greater. And that, that causes, that's really tough. It's really, really tough. Um, and it's, it's hard for young people these days because it's part of their life. I mean, there's massive differences between the cultures. And I think for young people, the, the challenge is that, yeah, there's a lot of comparison that goes on between individuals and friends. And, but then also for them, they get this, they're getting so much information and it's not being filtered correctly within their own mind. I'm not blaming tech and I'm not blaming the internet and I certainly don't go down that path at all, but I just think that they haven't got the capability to handle what they're seeing. And so it causes stress, it causes anxiety and, and uh, yeah. And I, th- I think that's, that's probably for me, that's probably one of the bigger areas of difficulty that young people are facing. I mean, there's, there's so many areas though, and they'll all be different and unique for every young person. And so I, I try and deal with each young person as, it, as they are and where they're at and not necessarily just, oh, this will be your problem because you're young. What are some of the challenges, biggest areas that young people are facing? Um, I think one of the things around um, young people entering a world with a skill set that the world doesn't value, and I think that's really challenging. They then go into the workplace and the workplace doesn't value that skill set. So when you're talking about um, young people having a skill set that the older generations or the workplace doesn't value, are you yeah. talking about technology or social skills what what sort yes. of things in particular yeah so when i yeah when i say skill sets that they value i think definitely there's a there's a correlation in in the sense of they go to uni and they learn a particular skill but it doesn't translate into real world actionable stuff that an employer can use uh, i mean the classic one is someone goes and does an arts degree at uni and then they come out of it with no real qualification they have to do further further study to actually make themselves employable coming back even before we talk about uni i think for a young person to not understand the basics of time management not understand 
Um, the idea of turning up on time to a job, you know, being a man or woman of their word, you know, the sense of, of honour and respect, understanding hierarchy within a job, within a workplace. You know, there is a boss and they, they're the owner. What they say is what goes and you can't just go in and go, no, I disagree, I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. Like that doesn't work within a workplace. And so I think there's skill sets that are almost precursor to that that just they they're just not taught it seems like schools try and do some of that but it's really an extracurricular stuff you know young people that are turning up to work and some of them no worries turn up on time they work for the duration that they've been employed for they do a good job that happens of course but then there are young people that you say be here at two o'clock to start and they don't turn up till 2 15 and they're like oh sorry yeah i just got a bit held up or well an employer is going to go well you do it again and you're out of a job. And yet a young person would, some of them, not all, absolutely, trying not to generalise. Or, But at the same time, there's still a sense of you need to learn that if there are consequences for just saying, oh, yeah, or not even turning up, not even calling up. I've got a, fr- a family friend who he wasn't able to go to his, his shift. And instead of calling the boss to say, look, I can't make it, just decided not to turn up because making the call was too awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how does, that, how does that work? And so I think, I think skill sets are there's you know there's technical there's technical trades so hard skills and I think the soft skills uh, that a young person needs to learn through their formative years are crucial to getting the, their foot in the door when it comes to being employable even just in menial tasks kind of jobs you know just stacking shelves or that kind of stuff I mean I've, I've employed people and I've worked for people and I've been in numerous different types of um, leadership structures from military through to civilian and, and all that and without a doubt you know those that turn up on time do a good job and don't argue when the work gets tough like they're the ones that keep getting shifts the ones that are constantly late or uh or they get to work on time but then they really sluggish throughout the day and like they're the kinds of people that they just don't get the shifts they just you know so for a young person to have a skill set that's soft skills I think that's really, really important. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges. Another big challenge for young people is they're not learning these soft skills and then they're work, going into a workplace and it's causing them undue stress because they're now in a place where they're like, why is the boss always annoyed at me? Why am I doing this? Or why, why is that happening? It's, it's causing them anxiety and it doesn't have to if they're taught early on. These are the things you're going to need um, from a yeah, soft skill point of view. You also have a program focused on young men. For you, what are some of the barriers that prevent them from seeking help for mental health issues? Yeah, so now most of our programs are all focused at boys, most, not all. But I think some of the difficulties for, for boys is, well, they're very different than girls. You know, there's developmental differences and where boys generally will only talk, found in my experience, you know, I'll, I'll spend all this money and time and energy to go surfing. Um, and this is what I did with Sea Grad Geelong, you know, we'd go surfing and the, these boys would say literally nothing other than they'd talk about the waves and they'd talk about how good the surf was or how cold it was or whatever. And then maybe in the last little five minutes of conversation, they open up about life or home life or something that's bothering them. But that's about it. It's a little window where with girls, yeah, they love, might love surfing and I've done surfing programs with girls and I've done all this lots of stuff but they're talking all the time and i think i think for young guys i think it's i think it's got a lot to do with the fact that as their brains are developing they're developing slower than than the girls and so they've got all these emotions and these feelings which they're starting to have as they go through puberty and adolescence but they don't know how to communicate it they don't know how to 
how to outwork that. And so they just go, well, I just won't talk about it. And, you know, it's the classic, it's the classic thing of boys don't cry, that kind of thing, which can be, you know, can be really damaging for, for young people to hear. But there's still definitely a generation that believes that. And so somehow it's still filtering down, uh, you know, boys, you know, you're, you're stoic in the sense of, you, you, you know, have a stiff upper lip and you just grunt it and you grind it and, and you know, all that sort of st- stuff, which can stifle a young person's development in, this, in the way of them feeling their emotions and knowing what it is to feel certain things. And it's okay to feel angry and to feel disappointed and, and all that, and then creating space to talk about it. Um, I think for me, my job mainly was really, the only reason I did surfing and I went did trips to Melbourne and camping and hiking and laser skirmish was really just to create space where a young person would want to, where a young boy would want to open up about what's going on in their life instead of just saying, hey, let's catch up for a coffee. If I did that with a 13-year-old boy, like he'd just look at me funny and go, well, just what are we going to talk about? I don't know what to talk about. And so where I think if, if that was happening with, with girls, and I know that you know I've got friends that work mainly with girls, that's what they do. They catch up for coffee. They go for a walk. You know, they do something um, where they can just chat. But I think the uh, I think the, the issues for boys seeking help, even there's still that that idea that guys you you don't seek help. And I mean, you see it in the data around more women will seek help for depression, anxiety, stress. Um, less women um, attempt suicide. Less men will seek help, but more men attempt and complete suicide. And so there's a clear difference there between those that feel they can seek help. And, and that's why there's all these programs about it's okay to be not okay. And, and men, you know, seek help, chat with your other mates. And because it's, it's, it's an issue that's coming through, I know we, we, you know, it's, it's a constant battle, I suppose, but I, I think it's, I think it's definitely um, biological. There's definitely some biological stuff, but there's also some cultural stuff around why young men don't seek help. Young boys don't seek help when they need to. Can you talk a little bit about the signs of depression in young men and what are some things that parents might or should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so once again, I I always come back to the idea that every individual is unique and so their response to depression, anxiety and stress will be unique to them. And so, I mean, there, there are certainly some key indicators around um, withdrawing social circles. There'll be um, things that will happen that will be, they've got indicators of stress and anxiety. I mean, a couple of the testing batteries that we use in our program is the DAS21 and the K10, and they're uh, validated testing tools for depression, anxiety. And they've got questions on it that talk about, you know, does your mouth feel dry? Uh, you know, are you short of breath? Do you feel your heart rate rising and you're not exercising or moving around? Like there's, there's key physiological indicators. But I think coupling that, that with the question around what signs parents should look for, I think the, my advice to parents, and I'm not a parent of a teenager yet, um, or teenagers yet. Um, my kids are three and, and one. Um, and so I'm not, I dare not try and give advice. Uh, I feel certainly woefully unqualified to give advice to parents of teenagers. But I think for me, what I've recognized in my kids is that I know something's wrong when they're doing something abnormal, um, abnormal for them. And so as warning signs for parents, my, my advice would be, you need to know your children so that you know the signs that something is not right. And that could be anything. Uh, that could be anything that's just abnormal for your child. And then that's what you need to be looking out for, abnormalities. 
And so it's not specifically anything that's just general. It's more just, I would say, you need to know your kids so you know when something's not quite right. Um, and it, it's, it's, I know it might, the, the advice is a bit vague, I suppose, but once again, like every, every young person seems to deal with their own stress and their own anxiety slightly differently. What, what one person will do, another person won't do. And so it's, it's hard to make that. So all I can say is for parents, know your kids, know, know the signs that you go, something's not quite right. And then don't be afraid to actually pursue that and, and ask some, create the environment where you can ask questions of your, of your young person and say, what, is there something wrong? Is there anything you want to talk about? Um, and that in itself can be difficult because if, you know, most teenagers, a lot of teenagers, no, nothing's wrong. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. You know, it's, that's certainly what I've experienced in the young person, young people that I've worked with. It's hard as a parent of young people as they go through their teen years. They often want to spend less time hanging out with you. So what, what are some of the changes you see in the young people you work with through the course of your program? The good thing about what I do is I get, I get some really good data. I mean, just last year, from January 2019 to December, we trained 46 students from grades 6 to year 11, which was, which was really good. And we saw an average increase of 22% in cardio endurance, and that was measured through the BEEP test. Everyone remembers, remembers the BEEP test back in school, which was just a pain, but I put these kids through it, which is exciting. Um, we had an average increase of 18% in strength conditioning, which is measured through a push-up, squats, burpees. No, everyone loves burpees, don't they? Um, and a short shuttle run. That's as many reps as they can do of those things in 10 minutes. Even those two little data points alone, where they're increasing their cardio endurance and their strength conditioning, there's an actual increase. And so it's very easy to relate the actual increase then to a perceived capability that a lot of these young people come out and say things like, I never thought I could do this, but now I know I can. For someone to have that thought process can can absolutely just change their world. I've got a quote here from a young girl who went through our program. Now she's 15, and I'll sort of paraphrase. She's I never I really do believe there is never going to be a time in your life when you are completely happy and satisfied with every little thing around you. And then she goes, I think there is always something that we can work on. So the opportunity ever arose, I would surely do this program again. It was such a life changing experience, and I don't regret it one bit. And then she finishes off going without accomplishing what I have through Hello Hurricane, I wouldn't be sitting here saying the things I've just shared tonight. Um, this was a quote she used on one of our uh, fundraisers. In fact, I'd probably still be crying every day and battling the way I used to. And I'm like, wow. Like here, Here's someone who, she went through the program, she didn't feel capable. She started doing things that pushed her outside of her comfort zone. She then started to feel like she can do this. And as she started to feel like she can do this, she actually created a space where she could do it and her physical work capacity increased. And now she's reflecting on this going, wow, I know I can do this. I know I can do stuff that I didn't, thought I, didn't think I could. And that, that is so powerful. That, I mean, that's, that's for everybody. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it, it, I mean, the amount of times that I've wanted to quit doing what I'm doing just because it gets hard um, – would you know almost every day of course but i think for a young person to have that realization and and her quote is not um abnormal i've got you know i've got 81 percent of our uh, this is overall from 160 students that 81 percent self-assess that they feel more capable to handle more capable to handle life situations better that's 81 percent of 160 students feel more capable they can handle stress anxiety uh, whatever pressure comes their way and i'm like that's a win. That's a big, big, big win. Yeah, um, it's great feedback. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really just that simple view of just going, create a space where these young people can feel capable, feel like they can do it, then give them a challenge that is actually going to be difficult to elicit a physiological response, but then reflect on it and say, this is how far you've come. This is what you can do now that you couldn't before. What else in your world could you feel as though you can't handle, but now maybe you can? And I think that that statement alone is just, it's so, so powerful for a young person. So, so powerful. So that description of what you do, would you say that's the underlying principle of Hello Hurricane? Oh, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. You know, our four words, our catch cry is strong, resilient, capable and healthy. If I had to pull up stumps and just say, hello, hurricane's finished. You know, I could say that it was a successful outing because there's 160 young people that are now more capable and, and better equipped to be able to handle life's pressure and life's stress. And, and we know statistically that that is absolutely a number of lives saved. Out of 160 young people, how many of them would have gone down a pathway of depression, anxiety, stress that would have led to either suicide ideation or, or, or even an attempt um, of suicide and then even worse you know how many would have attempted and completed their suicide um, the mind boggles but the data backs up the fact that without a doubt out of the 160 so far that we've trained we've saved lives and for me I used to say to our directors and I still do that in all the money and energy and effort that we put into this thing if we can save one life then it's totally worth it and it's such a catch cry it's such a it's such a cliche. A lot of people do it and say it, but I'm like, well, at the end of the day, if I can save one person from completing suicide, that means that one family can stay together. One family can cannot be torn apart by such a tragedy. And I go, well, my job's done. And to a degree, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the time that it took. I think of my boy and my and my little girl and go, man, I just want, if someone was going to do that for, for my kids, um, then awesome. Then let's, you know, whatever it takes really but i would say definitely that from from a hello hurricane perspective it's absolutely the case you know strong resilient capable and healthy that's that's why we exist the only reason we exist now in terms of strong resilient capable and healthy do you have any kind of tips or things to keep in the front of mind for parents of teens on how to support them through these difficult years yeah for sure now once again i'm I'm not a parent of teenagers so i'm you know please take what i say uh, within my context and what I understand, I think I think probably the best way to answer this is going is, is thinking that uh, you know my little boy is three years old, so he's got a lot of emotions going on in his mind at the moment as his as his as his brain develops and and all that. And I remember only last week we were going for a bike ride, and I wanted to uh, he needed to wear his helmet because he got a new bike for his birthday, and um, I think it was one of the only uh, push bikes left in Geelong because they all seem to be uh, taken up, but he didn't want to wear his helmet and I'm like, buddy, why are you not wearing, come on Dex, why are you not going to wear your helmet? And he just started to really crack it and go, no, 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 I don't want to wear my helmet. Don't. And he started to cry and sit out on the ground and like most three-year-olds seem to do. And then I, I remembered that I, I did this training around, you know, like how to raise healthy kids. And I'm like, okay, well, so I, 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 I knelt down beside him and I said, Dex, can you tell me why you didn't want, why you don't want to wear your helmet? And once he sort of cleared his tears away, he said, because the helmet keeps falling off. And I'm like, ah, okay. So then I said to him, Daddy will fix that when you get home. Is that okay? Can you still? And he's like, yeah, okay. And then he wore his helmet. And I'm thinking, the reason why I knew to ask him the question was because that I had done some training and and I've done courses on parenting and that kind of stuff to learn how to be a parent. And I was able to 
use some of the things that I learned to be able to engage with my three-year-old. I think that in that space, parents, the moment I think any parent thinks I've got this, I know what I'm doing. I think they're in, they're, they're in for a, a, a world of, of stress and anxiety themselves because they need to know their young person uh, and they need to know their child so they can actually help them more effectively. And I mean, what a, what does anyone want to be? They want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to be valued. Brene Brown says that, and I think it's just it's fantastic. And I think that for a parent to be able to see their, see their child, to hear their child, and to value their child, and do that in such a way that their child feels like they are seen, heard, and valued, like that, that makes it, that completely changes the dynamic. And then it enables help to come if needed. And so, um, for, as a, you know, for a parent that, that's going through a rough time with their, with their teen, of course, there's going to be times when you, you have to throw the book out because nothing's working just because of the, they're going through adolescence. There's all these emotions happening and there's all these changes happening and, and of course, parents aren't perfect. There's no perfect parents out there. So, of course, you're going to do stuff that's wrong, that's just not right. And then it's about how do you role model all that? And, like, it's definitely complex. And But I, I just think that simple thing of just show your young person that you see them, that you hear them, and that you value them. And I, and I think that culture creates space for a young person to be able to get the help they need or even just feel loved. They just want to feel loved and that you're there for them. Even if they're being the biggest pain in the backside, even if they're, even if they're not doing any any of the chores they need to do and all that kind of stuff, as a parent, it's you know my my personal view is that you know I chose to bring our two kids into the world, and so I have to take that responsibility. I've I've chosen to be their parent, and so I have to take that responsibility, and it's my responsibility to parent my kids. And I really encourage those other, uh, those other parents that, you know, remember that it's your responsibility. These are your children. And I know that there are a plethora of different scenarios out there that, that aren't as positive. But at the end of the day, if you're responsible for them, then they're your responsibility. Yeah. And so I think that's probably the best, you know, the best advice they can, you know, for dealing with your young person, your teenager um, and helping them through. Just see them, just value them, and just hear them. Now, can you talk a little bit about what challenges you've faced and overcome and are dealing with now um, mm. that come from running a not-for-profit business? I will say that I'm the world's worst CEO because I, I really don't have any idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and because of that, I've, I really have to um, remove any ego that I can possibly have and just be willing to learn. And be willing to learn from anybody and everybody, but also get really good people around me. And I've been able to do that. Um, but it still doesn't mean that this stuff comes naturally because the running a, I mean, running any kind of business, you know, the thing that undermines business is governance and the structure that, that holds it all together. And that is definitely not a strength of mine. Uh, you know, give me vision, give me big picture. Um, give me people development, uh, all that sort of stuff, leadership, um, training and coaching, working with young people. Like they're, they're the things that are in my toolkit. Um, but, you know, get me talking about policy and procedures and all the stuff that goes along, like how to run a, how to run a board meeting or how to, how to find board members, the legal side and all that. Like it, it really, that stuff's really difficult for me. I just, I just don't, 
you know, that just doesn't come naturally. So I've got to get people around me that know that stuff. Probably the biggest thing for me and the, the biggest challenge that I've found is, is funding. I can, I can take our portfolio to a school and say, these are the outcomes you'll get. These are the long-term effects. Here's the percentages. This is how it relates to uh, defense against depression, anxiety, stress. I can, I can do the whole pitch. And if I say to the school, yep, this is how much it's going to cost you, doesn't matter what they've said in the meeting, a lot of the time they're like, oh, gee, that's, gee, that's a, no, I just don't think we have quite the money for it. And that's no any fault of the school because schools aren't generally well-funded in the area of mental health and well-being, um, unfortunately. They'll, they'll get hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a new science wing, but to run a, a program that costs a couple of thousand dollars, it's quite difficult for schools. And so they're in a rock and a hard place. So I certainly have no hard feelings at all against schools. So I've sort of tried to figure out ways that we can self-fund. Um, there's grants, obviously, that we can get, but um, uh, one of our former directors, she was a grant writer, and she said that grants are always only ever the cream on top, not the core business on how you fund your programs. And so um, the biggest challenge, I think, is funding because I've, I've still got to, you know, for me, being an employee of the company, I, I have to still be able to put food on the table and a roof over our head and I've got a family to take care of and there's there's realities. I mean, just, just on that, it's actually quite interesting that if I was to go to anyone and say, oh, look, here's my business model. Um, it's I'm, I'm an electrician and I've got this new idea on how to save your power bill. This is what it's going to cost you. It's very easy to put a quantitative data point around that and go, oh, well, this will save me over that. Yeah, no worries. And you can charge $10,000 for this and yep, no worries. Um, but when it comes to yeah, that health and wellbeing space, it seems to be that you want to do it out of the goodness of your own heart. And so when you ask someone for money for it to say, well, pay me for my service, um, I've had people say, oh, I just thought you would have just done it. You would have, you just love it so much. And I'm like, well, yeah, I do love it. And I am passionate about it. But at the same time, I've got realities. Of, and it's really, fa it's a real fascinating dynamic. I, I, I never experienced this before I started running my own business. And so overcoming even that that you can you can have uh even just a, a general social justice concept and an idea that you want to help and then charge people like that's okay like you're allowed to you know a worker's worth his wages like i think that well, that was really really fascinating where if i was coming in with some sort of science thing or some sort of building or a, some sort of technical side and i want to charge for it yeah no worries I, I expect that but when it comes to just doing good in the community Oh, you're going to charge for it? Oh, well, and I've even had people saying, oh, you're only doing it for the money. And I'm like, gee, if only they could see our books and see how much that I don't do it for the money because there's, there's not a lot of money in, in um, health and well-being, really. Um, so they're definitely some of the challenges. And, but we've overcome them. I think the key for me is I had to get good people around me, people that are far more skilled in their areas. Um, and uh, yeah, and just, just, I just couldn't be arrogant. I just could not afford to have I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. I could not afford to have that nature. And so I really had to work hard to keep pushing that um, away from me and just going, no, it doesn't matter how the information comes in, as long as I know it, as long as I can learn it and grow from there. So what's next for you? Well, for us, um, look, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, getting back to the previous question in the sense of funding, I'm continuously looking for ways that I can self-fund. So even if that means that I no longer work within specifically within the health and well-being space or the mental health space. But if it means that I can fund myself to be able to then 
fund the foundation, then certainly I'm all open to ideas and, and I've got a couple of things on the path uh, in the pipeline that could actually uh, work quite well um, in self-funding the foundation to do the work that it needs to do because it's still really my heart and my passion. Um, but one of the things, I mean, we're launching next year, um, it's called Project Bravo. And so we've got four programs that Hello Hurricane runs, Project Alpha, Bravo, Charlie and Delta. But Project Bravo is essentially just the leadership component, the emotional intelligence component of the Project Alpha. And it's much smaller, it's shorter, it's easier for a school to purchase that program because it's more young people can get involved and per person it's much cheaper and the time commitment is much less. But in that program, I actually, I've met quite a few very, very, very impressive people. And I've spoken to a number of them about where they'd be willing to come in and actually, you know, do a, a short, like actually speak to the students. And so Project Bravo is targeting the student leaders within schools, um, the SRC reps, the team, the, the captains, and actually equipping them in true leadership development principles, giving them real actionable stuff that they can start using straight away um it's taking the pressure off the teachers to have to teach that stuff or just expect that they can do it um and uh just because they did a they ran a good campaign to be school captain so i'm, I'm really excited for that that's what i'm working on really in term four yeah so it's sort of prepped us for 2021 we'll be able to launch that and yeah so that's project bravo so that launches next year in term one so where uh, yeah. can people go to find out where your programs are running certainly mainly through our instagram and, and facebook uh, that's our main way that we communicate with people where we are. We do have a website, hellohurricane.org.au, that people can go to and get in contact with us there. But it's mainly through our socials, through Instagram, just Hello Hurricane Foundation and, and uh, Facebook, Hello Hurricane Foundation, all the tags, people know what they're doing there. Um, so that's where they can find out where we're going. And do you also have links to other resources that parents or teens could could look up? Yeah, sure. Look, the, the, the big ones definitely Beyond Blue um, and Black Dog Institute. They're the ones I use a lot. They've got some great resources. Yeah, so th that'll be the two that I would look at. Reagan Howard, thank you very much for joining us on the GMHBA Healthier Together series. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBAV Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality. Healthier together.